Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. We left our programme yesterday with Paul really sharing his heart with the leaders of the church in Ephesus. We are, of course, following the story of the Acts of the Apostles, and we're right in the middle of chapter 20. And Paul is addressing the elders from the church in Ephesus, which was a very key church. It was a key church in in these times, a church of great influence. And uh, I'm making clear that through um, what Paul said to the elders, he was doing a kind of review of his own ministry from which we learn the really essential elements of his ministry. And I was explaining yesterday that this is a passage I've often used in in talking to pastors and leaders because these same principles need to be true in our lives as leaders today and actually in the life of the whole church. And I pick it up at verse 25 of chapter 20 where Paul has already said that he knows hardships and prison are waiting for him uh, when he goes to Jerusalem, but he's going anyway because he knows this to be the purpose of God. And he says in verse 25, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Now let me just pause there. This confirms and enlarges what I was saying yesterday, that Paul always said what people needed to hear. He preached the whole gospel, not part of it, not just the popular parts, not just the parts people wanted to hear, but he preached the whole counsel of God, the whole will of God, the whole gospel, because he wanted to make disciples. And he didn't want to make just bodies of people that were being blessed, but those who would be a blessing to others, those who would impact the lives of others, especially of unbelievers, with the knowledge of Jesus and with the power that was flowing through their lives out into the lives of those to whom they witnessed. And so he says to these leaders, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So he's really saying to them, be faithful. God has entrusted those people to you. Make sure that wolves don't get into the flock that they're not led astray by strange things that have nothing to do with the whole counsel of the will of God. I mean, that's continually happening. It's happened throughout the history of the church that somebody gets some new idea, new philosophy, new um, theology even. They begin to preach another Jesus, actually. And so Paul is really saying, you have got a great responsibility to make sure that those who are entrusted to you by the Lord are really kept walking in the truth, that they become the witnesses that God wants them to be. And he says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. 
And isn't that something that's bedeviled the church throughout its history? That even when you get a church where the Spirit of God is moving and, and good things are happening, someone doesn't want to be second in command or third in command or just sitting in the congregation. He wants his own church. He wants to be the boss. He wants to be the number one. And he begins to sow seeds of division. And then he leads a whole group of people out of the church and even proclaims that he is doing the will of God in the process. Well, it's clearly not the will of God to bring division and party factions like that into the church. And it just comes from the pride and the sinfulness of man in, in wanting to be the number one. And it's tragic because whenever churches begin like that, they, they never come to anything because they've begun with a wrong motive and out of a wrong spirit. And you know, the nature of the plant is determined by the nature of the seed. And if you sow a seed uh, that is wrong, then you'll get a plant that is wrong. And that, I'm afraid, is the sad history of so many uh, churches like that. But it does show that the church has been under attack ever since it started. Oh, yes. I mean, Satan is the thief who steals, kills, and destroys. He's the one who divides. He's the one. Um, you know, Jesus prayed for unity. Father, may there be one so that the world will believe. So what does Satan want to do? He wants to divide. He always wants to do the diametric opposite to what Jesus desires. So Jesus prays for unity. This, the devil seeks to divide. So where those divisions come from, you always know who is behind it. It's not the Holy Spirit, I, even though people say, oh, the Spirit of God is leading us to do this. No, no, the Holy Spirit doesn't divide. The Holy Spirit, not in that way. So <clears throat> Paul says, be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. I mean, here's the heart of the man. He, he is just so concerned for the people. And he warns them of the divisions. He warns them of, of what the enemy would try to do to, to destroy the unity and the cohesion in the church. He's preaching the whole counsel of God, the whole will of God to them, night and day, with tears that come out of the prayer, you know, that goes on in, in, behind uh, all the aspects of his public ministry prayer of such intensity that he expresses that prayer in tears. You remember Jesus expressing that three hours of, of, of agonizing prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, this, is, this is that real sort of gut-wrenching prayer that is so effective before God because it comes out of hearts of concern and love. And uh, then Paul continues, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He wants to remind them that the gospel is not a gospel of law, it's a gospel of grace. And the grace of God builds people up and points them to the inheritance that they have through their faith in Jesus Christ that they are a sanctified people, that is, a people that are set apart by God for his purposes, for his will to be outworked in their lives. 
And then Paul says, I haven't coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. I'm afraid it would be very true to say that Paul would not have had an offering for his aeroplane if he'd lived today. That is not the heart of Paul. He said, I haven't coveted what the world counts as being the symbol of success. Now you see, what Paul wanted to do is to channel everything into the work of, of, of the gospel, of the kingdom. He said, you know yourselves that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of his companions. He, wa he wasn't raising offerings to support himself. When there wasn't the support there, he got a job and he supported himself. And you can't say, oh, Paul wasn't a man of faith. He didn't believe in the prosperity of God. I mean, come on. You're talking about the greatest apostle who has ever lived. You're talking about the one whom God raised up to bring the gospel to the Gentile nations. You're talking about one who wrote a third of the New Testament and who had such a unique understanding of the cross and of the significance of the ministry of Jesus, talking about a great theologian whom God raised up to explain to us the mysteries of Christ. Now, I'm afraid if we look at what is counted so often as significant today, Paul wouldn't have associated with those things at all. He had no personal ambition, in other words. Absolutely not. He was just sold out for Jesus and for the gospel of, of the kingdom. So he says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved him most was this statement that they would never see his face again. What's going on here? These men loved him. And why did they love Paul? I mean, Paul could be an abrasive character. I mean, he didn't put up with any nonsense. But they loved him. Why? Because they knew he loved them. And his ministry was the evidence of that. He didn't abuse them, manipulate them. He didn't take their finances for himself and for his own lifestyle. He loved them. And he wanted God's very best for them. Did he believe in the prosperity of, of Jesus? Oh, sure. He wanted everybody to prosper in the fullness of Christ, of all that he is, so that their lives would radiate not just a worldly lifestyle, but the life, the love, the grace, the mercy of the Lord Jesus. You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 